0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Arts, the podcast that explores the world of professional voice artists. My name is Peter Barber, and I'll be your guide along this path of vocal performance. What's that? (laughs) Oh, why am I qualified to host this show? Well, for starters, I got my master's degree in, you guessed it, Vocal Arts and Performance from the University of Southern California. I trained one-on-one with world-class singers and learned all about the physiology and function of the human voice from leading voice scientists. Beyond that, I currently sing opera professionally as a resident artist at the Academy of Vocal Arts. Since quarantine started, I began producing my own a cappella music, from arranging to recording, mixing, and mastering. I've performed in basically every genre from EDM to chamber choir, And with an undergrad major in audio engineering, I can comfortably bridge the gap between live performance and studio recordings. From the grandiose space of a 3,000-seat opera house to the intimate, soundproof booths used in voiceover. But perhaps most importantly, I'm just a young artist, fascinated by the various careers in vocal performance and inspired to learn more about them from the best and brightest vocal talent the world has to offer. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And no matter what your involvement is within the world of vocal arts, I hope that here on this podcast, you can both learn something and enjoy. Today's guest is Josh Shaw. Named as one of Musical America's top 30 innovators in classical music, Josh Shaw is the artistic director and CEO of Pacific Opera Project, known as POP, which has been described as LA's most exciting new opera company. Over the past nine seasons, Mr. Shaw has directed over thirty-five productions at Pop, including The Rake's Progress, Horiadne of Naxis, La Calisto, Tosca, and Laboem, aka The Hipsters. Mr. Shaw's reimagining of the Intering aus dem Serail as an episode of Star Trek has gained national attention and has been produced by eight companies selling out houses with record-breaking numbers. Josh and I talk about innovation in opera, running an opera company during a pandemic, what he looks for in singers during auditions, and much more. Please welcome, Josh Shaw. Welcome to Vocal Arts.
1: you start by telling all the lovely listeners who you are and what you do for a living.
2: Hi, I'm Josh Shaw, and I am the uh, founding artistic director of Pacific Opera Project in Los Angeles. And uh, so I run the show here. Um, all of the artistic aspects, I, I direct the shows, uh, design the shows. And uh, in addition to that, I direct around the country.
1: Right on, right on. How did you originally get interested in opera?
2: Oh man, Uh, that was seven lives to go. Uh, I started, I mean, I grew up singing in church. My dad was a a minister of music, so always had to sing on Sundays and I was in choir and then uh, moved to Montana in uh, eighth grade and they had a strong choir program at the school, which I had never really, we'd never had at schools where I grew up, you know. Uh, So I got involved with that. And then when I graduated high school, um, I just assumed I wanted to be a choir teacher, you know, cause that's what I knew. Um, so got a vocal scholarship, went to school. And, you know, if you're on vocal scholarship, you either, you got two options, basically. You're either gonna be an educator or a performer. So I went in education and pretty quick realized that is not what I wanted to do. Um, and then, but, You know, I needed to keep my scholarship, so that made me a performance major. And, um, you know, I was cast lead in the first opera I ever auditioned for. You know, I had never even heard an opera, I don't think. Um, But I just, you know, it's so silly now, but I just felt like, well, my life's on this track. Like, too late to turn back. I'm 19. It's too too late to switch. (laughs) It's so stupid. Um, I, you know, also, I fell in love with with it immediately. You know, being on stage and and putting a show together, um, fell in love with that. So went ahead and got my master's degree in opera and music theater performance. Again, I had not seen a professional opera, and I was going to get my master's in in opera. <laughs> I finally, did halfway through my first year go to the Lyric and, and see. Um, Sweeney Todd, which isn't even really an opera, but
1: uh, right. you on the fence there, yeah.
2: In opera House, and I got the whole sense of it. Uh, so then I was a singer, a tenor, for I think seven years after grad school. Messed around in music theater for a little bit, and then got back to opera, and I was singing around here in Los Angeles, and then eventually just, like, uh, found myself doing more and more behind the scenes in every show I was in, whether that meant Helping with a set, or helping market the show, or bringing my own costumes, or whatever. Um, and eventually, me and a couple other people were just like, "God, maybe we should just start from scratch. Uh, might be easier than what we, you know, what, what's happening right now." And that was the beginning of a pop. And um, it was really just about let's let's make a company. Well, first it was like let's just put on a show um, that we're proud of and that singers, all these talented singers in the area can, you know, be a part of and they can feel proud of being a part of the show and they can feel like their time was valued and not wasted. And um, that that was a start and that went well. So we did another one. And then, you know, I'm just kind of like, well, I guess this this is happening. And um, that was 10 years ago this year. Um,
1: so it sounds like there was a pretty gradual progression going from singing to directing. Do you remember any specific moments where you were like, no, I really think directing is the move for me?
2: Um, I wouldn't call it grad, grad, the opposite of gradual. We were starting this venture and I decided I could direct. I had no no training, no reason to think that uh, I would be able to do that. But um, really quick, once I started directing, I realized I like that a lot more than I like singing, you know. Singing is okay. just a way, just a way to, to do all those other things, you know, to put a show on. Basically, yeah. I think I would probably uh, love any form of theater, you know, where I have the same kind of autonomy uh, that I have at pop, you know.
1: Yeah. Have you thought about directing in other mediums, like for film or for straight theater?
2: Great theater. I directed one play. It was fine. You know, um, it's not the same by any means. Uh, and then film, I just, I don't have any of the knowledge, you know, I have zero experience with that. So that would be a huge learning curve. I mean, I had to think about it this past year because we had to think about, are we going to do a, a film version of an opera or something? And uh, we, we did not end up doing that, but, um, you know, that, Sure. That'd be fun. It's uh, everything's fun. The first couple of times, you know, when you're learning what,
1: yeah. How did all the shows go during uh, the pandemic for pop?
2: Well, we were able to do uh, three drive-ins in uh, November and December, way up in Ventura. So that was interesting doing shows an hour from our base. Um, They went great. Um, It was super Stressful is not the right word. Just like every day you felt like, are we going to get canceled? Like, is somebody going to get sick? That wasn't, somebody getting sick was not a a huge concern. We felt we had things pretty well under control there. But, uh, you know, is the county going to shut us down? Is some random person from some random department going to come and say, you can't do this? And that never happened. Even our last, you know, the last show was Bohem and like, the day that we started rehearsals like the strictest lockdown came in came in that day so basically we had rehearsal and we were like well probably the last time we see each other but let's go ahead and sing through the show and um and then you know the church we were working with was like don't worry no one's gonna come out and shut you down i'll be promised it won't be a problem we have a contact and they were right <laughs> we did the shows and nobody Nobody even came and said anything. Um, wow, wow. So it was, you know, it was fun. It was fun. It was a great new challenge to do it all outdoors. And with, you know, people in their cars is very weird. Um, all the technology somehow worked. It was a miracle. Every night, every night was a miracle. Every time we did a show, you know, one of these 400 cables could come unplugged. And basically the whole thing <laughs> goes down, whether <laughs> or sound or you know whatever um yeah so I'm glad we did it I don't really ever want to do it again
1: <laughs> what kinds of things were you thinking about as a director that you wouldn't have been considering under normal circumstances
2: oh so much I mean like even rehearsal is hard you know everyone I've done now several shows during COVID because I just finished one in Florida too and uh you know, everyone's wearing a mask. It's hard to no matter how invested you are as an actor, when you're wearing that mask, it's just you can't see what your scene partners are looking at or look it like. And so that was challenging. And then for the um for the drive-ins here, it was I mean, we we always worked lightning quick at pop, right? But this was even yeah. crazier because you know, the less time you spend together the less chance you have of contagion, right? So we did this cozy, you know, with all new lyrics, which I had to write that in two weeks, write a cozy in two weeks, which was...
1: That's really fast.
2: Hardest thing I've ever done, I think. Um, And then they had to learn it in two weeks. (laughs) And then we staged it in, I think we had a sing-through, and then I think we had four days and then we did it it was a miracle i can't believe i asked those people to do that looking back at it um,
1: wow wow you know
2: and even if you had done cozy before which i don't think oh uh yeah one one of the couples had done their roles before no maybe i, I don't i'm not sure if they both had or not i think
1: but... colin had sung guillermo before
2: Guglielmo? okay somewhere guillermo or alfonso and christina had sung um Dorabella, but you know you still got to learn it all in english and you know imagine what the set's going to look like until you get up on there for the one dress rehearsal we had so yeah it was it was crazy man crazy times
1: was the audience stoked that they were just getting to see anything
2: yeah they totally were and they totally loved it and i really wish i could get someone else to do the that show or we could do it again because it's got kind of a shelf life it's going to kind of right expire um but it's very weird them being in the cards. Cause I, I knew they were loving it every once in a while. I could like hear a laugh or they honk their horns like crazy, but there's just none of that energy from the audience that that is why we do this. Right. So for me, it was as great as, and that show was fantastic. I mean, hilarious. And the singers were just great. And I just really miss the feeling, the energy. I mean, we talk about that all the time. Right. But, When you don't have it it it's a real thing um so
1: that was kind of yeah 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 so you've done a number of rewritings in english from older shows of course you've made these new librettos what what is that process like for you what are you thinking about because it seems like you're you're taking it straight from whatever time period to either today or a very specific more modern thing like the 90s video game for instance so what are you thinking about when you write those
2: so for me number one it has to be there has to be a good reason that i'm setting it i mean any show i do i'm dealing with this with a a show i'm about to direct pretty soon here and it's just so that this show coming up is just has so little definition of like where when it needs to be set. Like there's so few few clues from the characters of like, oh, this would totally work as this. Because it's all like this could work at any time, you know. So for me, first it has to be about why, why or are we setting why are we updating this opera, whether that's a new libretto or not? And then then once you know why, it starts becoming a little easier to get to where you need to go. And so the way it, i mean the step-by-step process is to become ridiculously familiar with the original language um libretto and then whatever your concept your setting is going to be do a ton of research on that like you know old west i watched the old west mary widow i watched every corny western type thing i could think of blazing saddles to you know whatever bonanza um, and that's just like, if you do it right, that's like months of like, just cause it has to get in your head and then it has to like saturate in your head. And then I started thinking about, you know, how characters align and you get, you know, if you have 10 characters, like six of them are going to be pretty easy. Like this is this kind of character. This is this movie character. And then you got to piece in the other ones and make them fit. Right. And then the same thing with the the way you're going to adapt the libretto, because the libretto, I try to, always I've tried to stay with the story, the same story, um, overall arc, same, um, you know, it still seems like an abduction from the Seraglio. But I if you really want to make it where it's 100% entertaining and engaging, you got to, some of the songs you just take and you write about something completely different right um so those those you get those great ideas in the middle of the night oh that song could be about this people will love that and then this act finale needs to be like this and so you got these home runs you know every 10 minutes and then the rest is the hard part the rest is like mm. you know how do we make this four pages of rest it enjoyable also you know right uh, so right. it's i mean it's Like I said earlier, it's everything's fun the first four times, right? And then (laughs) when you're (laughs) under a deadline and you have to crank out this cozy, and you've been staring at the same page for twelve hours, which literally Mm. happened. I mean, there were days I think I wrote two sentences. Mm. Um, It's not always fun at that point.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, which was the first one that you did, and how did you come up with the idea to do it?
2: First one was abduction from the Star Okay. Star Trek so um, the way that happened was I directed at a festival they hired me back the next year he said I want to do two operas next year Uh, we already have a Lucia cast in place what other show can we do with the same cast as Lucia I looked around and I thought well abduction's pretty close you know pretty close to the same voice types Um, but and it's manageable budget wise and that kind of stuff But I was like, I just hate it, you know, all the English. We're not doing it in German, period. (laughs) And then all the um, English things out there that I've ever heard are just terrible. Um, So that was back when, you know, Pop was just starting and we might have done three shows a year. And, you know, um, I wasn't directing anywhere else. So I had tons of time and I just said, and I'll, I'll, I'll write, I'll write something new. Again, why? Why did I think I could do that? I had no experience at that. (laughs) Um, So uh, just started thinking of, you know, how how can we set it? And abduction led me to alien abduction thoughts. And then I tried to fit it with Star Wars and doesn't work at all with Star Wars. And then um you know started looking at star trek which i didn't you know everybody's seen some star trek right but this was like even the new movies were not the newest you know the chris pine movies uh had just maybe just come out maybe the first one i just yeah maybe so so i wasn't super familiar with it but then i started doing all this research on the original episodes and suffering through some of the watching those (laughs) <laughs> and you know it just spoke to me immediately because all those episodes are about like beaming down to save some girls from something right and that's exactly what abduction from soralio is and then even further you read about that franchise and they were always in financial trouble they never had enough money like lucy um uh, Lucia ball like had to bail them out at one point and they were just using recycled sets from westerns and coming up with all these creative things like like beaming in only exists because they didn't have money to make a little model rover. And they're like, let's just flash some lights. And they appear. And I was like, this is, this is what I do. You know, this <laughs> is my, my style. And, um, <clears throat> and so then started writing it. And the first time we did it, it was kind of half baked. Um, some of the English was just right out of the shermer score, like the things I just couldn't get to, you know, I was just like, well, this is close enough. Let's say star a couple times. And <laughs> and, and it'll be fine and then you know it was wonderful to get to do it again then here and eight times now and it gets up you know tweaked a little bit every time and then what really made that one was the the lucky casting of the two particularly the two guys we had that uh brian cheney and, and robert norman the first time they're just huge nerds and they just like man did they go in all in and uh that made that made it and like it was uh, that was like the most i've had a lot of fun doing opera but the first one or two times we did that and just making each other laugh like every rehearsal was amazing amazing that's great
1: that's really great and how about the uh 90s video game one that was that was probably my personal favorite just because that hits so close to home for me
2: Super flute, yeah, so um, that was the same festival, Southern Illinois Music Festival, um, wanted to do magic flute, and, um, you know, Ed, when he wants to do something, that's what we're going to do, and I hate I hate magic flute, um, <laughs> and so again, he's like, well, you can, you know, you got to update it, people want to update it, updated, so what are you going to do? He said, do a Harry Potter magic flute. I was like, I don't know Harry Potter and their 12 year olds. Like, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, and he was convinced it was going to work. Luckily Scott Levine was there too. And he's like, it's not gonna, that doesn't work. doesn't work. <laughs> so, you know, Scott will still deny this, but the way it, the way I remember it happening is, um, cause he was, he was cast as Papageno already. He was going to be in it. And, uh, so we were kicking back and forth ideas, and then he texts me. I remember I was driving up to Upper Santa Barbara for something, and he texts me. But he said, "How about video game setting?" And I said, "I know you're not going to believe this, but I was just looking into video game settings this morning." He still doesn't believe me, uh, <laughs> but I did. I was, and um, and then you know, I I grew up with those particularly Mario Brothers and, uh, um, Donkey Kong and those, like, I, you know, I grew up playing those five hours a day. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and that was another one where it just, it just works so well. Like, I didn't know it would work that well. Like, cause I didn't know magic. Cause I didn't like magic flute. I didn't know magic. I had never sung in magic flute, you know, I'd never directed it. Um, it, that was challenging to not be super familiar with it, and then to to make it happen. Um, but the nice thing about not being super familiar with it is, when it comes to the cuts, you know, it's just like I I don't care. I don't know this show. Maybe that's important to other people, but I don't need it here. So it's gone. The speaker's gone. Like you know, things like that. Um, and but you know that that shows just so, such about. Trials and levels and conquering things and winning the princess, and that's that's just a video that's is a video game, right? so yeah, yeah, yeah. and that both of those franchises, you know, are I wish I could find more things like that because if you look at uh, Star Trek or if you look at Nintendo, um you take a seven year old today or you take a seventy year old today and they know something about those if they might hate science fiction and never played a video game in their life but they say oh that's i know that pointy eared blue guy yeah literally like spock they would probably come up with the name spock even you know right. and then same with mario kids today are still playing mario games they look nothing like what what i played but um so you know, that's what I'm always looking for, and every every concept I come up with is like, how can I get someone to see a poster or see an ad and say, "Oh, I recognize that," and that's opera. I you know, I like opera or maybe i maybe i I've always wanted to see an opera, you know, and if it, if you can just get them that that far in the door maybe they come and then maybe they love it and maybe they come to everything. You know, we have so many fans of pop that came not because they like opera. They just saw something that looked interesting. They came and they're like, Oh, I like this, you know, like, um, so that's the goal. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard yeah. to continually come up with, with, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Right. So you've seen a lot of fans come on for this kind of thing and this adaptation, do you think this is something the opera world really needs to be doing at large?
2: Uh, I think it is, and I think they have been. I mean, I didn't invent this stuff, right? Um, Peter Sellers was doing it in this country, and then, you know, we call it Eurotrash from from over there. But that's <laughs> they've seen, you know, if you grew up in whatever, you know, Germany, wherever, and your family went to the opera, you've seen La Boheme. 30 different ways, you know, and you don't want to see the same Zeffirelli traditional bohem after the seventh time. So that's why they, you know, they've been doing all these crazy concepts for, for decades. And we're just kind of catching up with that and making it our own because we don't have as much opera. We haven't had as much opera, you know.
1: Right. 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 So you, you were a founder of pop back in was it 2011 yeah right what what kind of changes have you seen pop go through over the last 10 years
2: um in some ways a ton in some ways not a, l- a lot of changes um you know i really fight that for us to stick with what has worked for us and to um keep what has made us special, which are things like small venues, intimate performances, um, talented young singer, young, I always like to say like young, hungry, excited people who are so excited to be on stage, you know, um, and, um, but, you know, we've grown to, I mean, before before this year, I think we were going to have a $600,000 budget this year, you know, or I mean now it's half of that or something. But, um, and then, you know, our first show cost $5,000, I think, all in. <laughs> Jeez. So that's a lot. But, I mean, we still, right now, because of the pandemic, again, we only have two staff members. We've got a, a nice big board. Um Of directors now and we have we're hiring a new education person and you know we're doing all the things that companies do as you grow Um, but I am constantly reminding myself and whoever else will listen that we're our company to make opera to make accessible entertaining uh, affordable opera everything else is extra so yes we want to have programs that do this and programs that do that. And we want to go to the Ford Amphitheater and do a big show there and all that. But our main thing is doing this kind of 300 or less seat opera that people have a good time at and don't have to um, fork out a hundred bucks every time to come see the show. And, uh, you know, we want to keep, we want to keep what, what brought us here.
1: Yeah. 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 Do you think Los Angeles has been a good city for you to start this company?
2: I can't imagine doing it. I, I don't know how it works anywhere else. Like, you know, you could take this to New York and have more audience, I think, but you can't be building sets in somebody's backyard or <laughs> storing sets in someone's garage or um, you know, driving huge set pieces across town. Like, so how do you do that there? Or you could go to Uh, any, I won't name any city, but pick a 200, 300,000, you know, person city, your audience is, uh, (laughs) I don't even know what percent smaller than our potential audience here. And, um, you just don't have the, the creatives in the area or the talent, the vocal talent in the area so you're bringing them in all the time and
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: just you know i think it's just a very unique place i'm sure there's one or two other cities in the country where you could pretty much do what we're doing here but not many i mean i people ask me all the time like oh will you ever move on from pop will you go direct somewhere else or run another company and it's just like the the jobs that are out there which would pay more and you know maybe more prestige or whatever I just can't imagine having the kind of artistic freedom and talent at my fingertips and, and audience like we have any anywhere else. So it would have to be something very special.
1: Yeah. 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 That's great. Have there been any shows that you've wanted to direct, but haven't had the personnel or the budget or anything like that over the, the 10 years you've been doing pop so far?
2: I mean, I know there are, um, but I can't, I mean, I get that question a lot. Um, I've done my, my bucket list shows, I think, uh, you know, my favorite, just my plain favorites, you know, Giovanni, Carmen, Bohem, uh, Mikado. Um, and then I've done some of those that are kind of out there that I wanted to do for the challenge, like L'Enfant or uh, Rake's Progress or you know seeing this um madam butterfly in japanese happen was like a dream it's like one of those dreams you have and you're like oh that'll never happen but it's a it's a great idea and then for it to happen the way it did was just like i i really don't know how i will ever be able to top that in my life and then you know um then these rewrite shows are just they're just so fun you know and where who else is going to let me do that you know like no one's going to hire some director and say all right come up with your own concept and you can write your own script and and this and this and this it just doesn't happen if you're not in charge you know so yeah
1: yeah yeah for sure
2: um man i mean you know i want there's there's a couple shows i want to do pretty bad into the woods but i've directed into the woods before you know um I don't know. I don't know. It's whatever I'm working on, usually.
1: <laughs> that's good. I mean, it's good you've enjoyed so many, and you said you've gotten to check a number of them off the bucket list already, so that's really nice. What do you think the opera world's going to look like when we emerge from this pandemic? Any any predictions on that? Any hopes for that?
2: Well, I will say my prediction is contrary to what I hear people say mm-hmm. all the time, whether they believe it or not. I think it's going to go back a lot to like what, what it was. I really don't think it's going to be that different. If you did opera the way pop does it, you're still going to do it the way pop does it. If you did it the way Dallas opera does it, you're probably going to do it basically the same way that you did it before the pandemic. You know, people would like to say, Oh, this is going to mean like, you know, budget reforms and, and venue changes and this and this. And I just, I don't think so. Why? Why? I mean, if it was working for you for the last 40 years, is one year going to change your complete mindset about that? I I don't think so. Um, I mean, the biggest change (laughs) for me is I think, you know, uh, we won't have to actually go to so many meetings. We can do this, (laughs) which I am looking, you know, makes, makes things a lot easier. But I mean, we were already doing it pop. We were already doing stuff like this. We were, I was, sending out video blocking like the first show we ever had you know and i was just like why isn't everyone doing this it just saves so much time um and we were already live streaming all our performances which a lot of places are talking about doing um hopefully someone can figure out a good way to actually like monetize that you know because i don't think anyone really has yet um yeah no i don't think it's I mean, I think for a year or two, we're going to think a little bit more about germs and uh, and how much touching we're doing and that kind of stuff. But I think I think we're going to get back. I just want to go back to the way things were like I love mm. I, I love the way things were. So we'll see. The bigger question is when?
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm pretty hopeful for the same thing. I think people are going to be pretty eager to be seeing shows. I mean, you were saying you saw a lot of excitement for people that got to go to the drive-throughs. Yeah. I don't know why that wouldn't be the case when they can go to a show and not even have to worry about the social distancing part of it and wearing the mask part of it.
2: I mean, I I can't wait for that day where we're crammed, sold out, you know, in a 500 seat venue somewhere and nobody even thinks about it, you know? i yeah. just glad yeah. to
1: be there. So you but, mentioned that a big priority for you is keeping pop doing things the way that it has. We've got the small venues and the intimate spaces. Do you have any short and long-term goals for the company?
2: Oh, we're constantly making goals. I mean, we're starting a new to look at our five-year plan again. I mean, our five-year plan hasn't even run out um, and we're starting this week to look at it again. Of course, everything you had planned for this year, long out the window, Um, but yeah, short-term, I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's the same goal I've, I guess I've had for the, for years is, you know, I want pop to be, we're never going to be LA opera, don't want to be LA opera. Um, I would like to have some of their budget and some of their prestige, but you know, I, my dream is that LA or um, pop is like what the opera comique was in, in Paris, where, Mm. you know, um maybe not the grandest opera but nice good opera and fun and i want pop to be a a, you know a place where an institution in la where like you know you gotta go to pop once a year at least you know because everybody goes you know it's like you know maybe like bob baker marionettes or uh, the magic castle or um you know, some restaurant that we all go to uh, where it's just like it's the thing to do. And like young people do it, old people do it, families do it. And um, and it's just I would love us to be doing opera all the time, you know, like uh, more like a music theater house, which is there's a million problems with why that's difficult. <laughs> but um, there's probably solutions. Yeah, too. yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, do you envision having one venue for pop ever, like a pop opera house, or do you like the idea of, of going around town to all these different places?
2: I think one day, yes, there will be, just because it's a exhausting to, to not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also incredibly expensive to have a venue uh, in Los Angeles, whether you own it or lease it, you know? Um, so if, if we do... You know, I want it to be flexible—a flexible space where we can still do all kinds of different things every time. And and uh, I mean, in my my personal selfish dreams, it's like this little three hundred or four hundred seat, like European horseshoe style, but all not modern, but like just pop. I don't know, just like not <laughs> not stuff everywhere. And but I would love to have boxes and like table seating and oh that that would be it that would i mean that would be it and like a full-time chorus full-time orchestra you know so we're doing six shows a week and all that kind of stuff
1: so we, we can definitely throw those in the, the long-term goals i guess yeah
2: <laughs> so now i just like you know some storage <laughs> <and office>.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly uh so during quarantine i mean it sounds like you've been super busy even though you know a lot of shows got canceled and stuff but have you have you picked up any new hobbies any new interests
2: i have played a ridiculous amount of golf <laughs> nice nice i don't even want to say how much because people would think I, I was doing no work if i told you how long <laughs> it, it's been rough man um Uh, you know, not, I've got some other stuff going on that's made it particularly rough, but not Hmm. being able to, I just feel hopeless, not hopeless, helpless most Mm -hmm. days, you know, like, I feel like for the last six months, at least, I've just been saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know. We have no, no end in sight. Right. So I can't plan anything. I have 20 ideas of things that we could do to come out of the pandemic, but I can't get a venue to talk to me and why would they they have no they have their own problems first of all and then you know we're no one's telling us when we can plan something you know if if we could just get like if everything goes well we're going to reopen you on september 1st no promises but if we could just get that from the county and the city and the state that's also a big problem who's in charge Mm -hmm. um then we could all at least start planning which is huge part of this job anyway is just planning what what comes next so yeah that's been really rough um just feeling that helplessness of like what am i do i'm an artistic director there's no art to direct and i i, I haven't been able to get on board with digital programming um so that really limits you know what i can do artistically mm. um
1: yeah i totally feel you
2: three more shows or something like that but got to be in a good place you know mentally and emotionally like in a in a good place to take over take on those kind of projects yep. um particularly it's going to be a comedy like i'm not going to waste <laughs> i'm not going to waste two months of my life writing another sad <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's it's been rough but i play a lot of golf uh I've been playing online uh like spades with a couple of guys which has been nice to reconnect you know mm-hmm. guys we were on a gig together years ago and now we play Uh, online cards every every week so you know could be worse could be worse it's beautiful out out here
1: yeah Yeah. i was gonna say we have five inches of snow plus a sheet of ice on top right now and everything else is it's been wet it's just been wet for two and a half months in virginia which which makes everything a little bit more difficult (laughs) mentally and emotionally Uh, i i feel you though big time man i mean i'm i'm really grateful that I have AVA just because that's something I know is going to be going on for the next four years. Yeah, but but training online and singing in my basement or I'm actually in my friend's basement because they have much better Internet than I do. It's just it's a ton of practice with no glory and no we're not training for performance. You know, the the most we've gotten to do is is virtual recitals and singing in front of a camera doesn't is not the same as singing in front of live audience you never yeah. sing as well it feels completely fabricated oh. and so I, I know everyone everyone's losing steam it's just like it's just yeah. like oh another day of singing in my basement with no oh. with
2: with no end goal insights. so it's it's been yeah. tough for sure yeah that's it it's the end goal like i just want to see i just want someone to tell me we think this is the day, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And, you know, I've been trying, you know, for the, actually the whole pandemic, I've been trying to convince venues, like, let's just plan if, like we don't, it's only going to cost us a little bit of time right now. And let's just plan if or when, let's just plan when, like when we open, we're doing this. And we're the first, you know, we'll, we'll be your first booking or whatever. Um, but I get it. They got, you know, they got major problems. (laughs) If you're a venue right now. Yeah. Ooh,
1: man. Super tough. All right. Golf. I'm not going to make you say how much you play. Uh, What courses are there out there? I, unfortunately I'm a, I'm actually a a big golfer myself. My dad loves golf. We, we started playing as my brother and I started playing as kids, but I never got the chance to go when I was out in LA. Oh
2: man. Well, you know, I got busy. So I, I grew up, I didn't grow up playing, but then I, started working at a golf club when i was 15 and i worked there until i was 22 i think so i picked it up that way and then uh you know golf's expensive so once i started running an opera company and trying to have or trying to have a singing career in the running opera company i didn't play for i don't know i mean maybe i played three times over 15 years or something like that so yeah um there's great courses man i think i've I think we played about 25, 26 courses during COVID, um, in LA. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that many of them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want to, uh, my kind of regulars Bell in, in Burbank and it's like super windy canyons, you're going to lose balls. You can't hit a driver half the time. Um, but there's some beautiful courses. Like we just played the Babe course at Industry Hills over by Azusa, just gorgeous, it's, oh, it's gorgeous. And you know, LA, like one course could be flat without a hill on it. And then the next one, like you're hitting off a mountain. Uh, that's what's so great. There's some amazing courses up in Ventura and Camarillo we played. played, um, there's no shortage, no, mm. they're packed. It's the only thing to do, you know, there's a, a million other literally a million other guys in la like me who are like can't really work right now can't do this can't do that what can i do play golf so that's what i'm gonna do Um, yeah 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 and it's more affordable than i thought it would be in Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's such a great thing to do it's a great time killer uh you get to be outside and it's i mean it's like the safest thing you can be doing right now too
2: yeah and it's, I just, you know, like my wife doesn't understand golf and I, try, I say, you know, it's the best game because you always play against yourself and then you can play against people as well. And particularly in the pandemic, I mean, it's going to take me five hours at least by the time I go I'll play, come back. And for once in my life, I have more time than I know what to do with. Uh, yeah. I, I, there is this little upside to the pandemic, right? Or it could be big for some people where. If this wouldn't have come along this year, I would probably, like, be a shell of a person by now anyway. Because, like, I've been going for 10 straight years directing every show that I possibly can and building the sets and doing this and doing that. And, you know, I think I was supposed to direct another 11 or 12 operas this year. And I don't know how that was going to happen. I don't, like not well uh you know something would have suffered uh my health for sure Mm -hmm. but also some of the shows would have have suffered so i think some of us those of us who are like on the edge of burnout or at burnout already um we'll come back from this you know recharged ready ready to do that for another 10 years in a row Mm -hmm. um and then there's the unfortunate side of of people who are just it's just going to be too much you know it's just that's it you know they're getting out field or they're getting out of whatever field they're in right. you know it's, can't can't deal with it and i i get that totally right right
1: right right let's go back to golf i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the golf the go- none of my guests have been big golfers so this is fun for me um are you like totally wreck just for fun or are you to the point if you've been playing a lot where you're thinking about parts of your game and trying to improve and
2: so frustrating like i was playing I mean, I've been playing a lot. All right. I've been playing like four rounds a week at least. That's uh, what my dad does. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I got back into it. You know, I was shooting well over 100 because I just blow up on holes, you know, take a 10, yeah. like every, every couple holes. And then I got to where I was feeling like, okay, I'm a bogey golfer now, like legit bogey golfer. Then I got a little better than that for about a month. And I was like, you know, I can hit the driver most of the time. I can get on the green if I have a you know eight iron or less in my hand. And then, for no reason, the last three weeks I've just terrible, just like terrible. Like uh, it's so frustrating. But I mean, that's why it, That's why we like it, I guess. So you know, I I always break up. I'm always under a hundred, but I would love to be shooting you know like closer to 85 than 95 um it's the good shots
1: that bring you back every round you'll have one beautiful shot and you're like all right yeah <laughs> the nice putt you make you know
2: well so nice though like there was like two weeks somewhere in here where it was like oh yeah i'm going to get like eight pars probably you know and i'll have one bad really bad hole that'll wreck my score i'll get a, at least a birdie every round
1: yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some days you just you just kind of have it, you know. You step up to the ball and you're just like, "I'm gonna hit this in the fairway."
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and then some days you just you can't stay out of the weeds.
2: Yeah. And then you know Scott Levine, <laughs> I got him to start playing when I you know when I was like, "What is there to do besides play golf?" So he had started. He had never played at all, and so he started from nothing. And like he has been getting better and better. And I'm just kind of like <laughs> going, say I'm not getting better. <laughs> like it's really frustrating, you know. And I'm I'm hitting it a hundred yards past him on every drive and mm. I'm still barely beating him. It's just so frustrating. Uh but that's been fun. And there's a couple other singers in town who, you know, what they got nothing to do. So we go play golf and a you know, trip to Palm Springs to play some mm, nice. You know, I should be learning Italian or (laughs) writing a book or something like that. But like Scott Scott had the best line about that the other day where I was like, you know, I got to start finding a way to work, do more work like at pop. Like, I don't know what I can do, but I just feel like I'm getting paid. I need to do something. And he's like, why don't you just look at this as like this is the last time in your life you're not going to have to work and enjoy it. And I was like, oh. That's a good point. <laughs> that is a good that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. We're
1: getting pretty close to time. Let's bring it home. Most of the people listening are going to be young singers, probably. I want to know what you are looking for when you're listening to auditions, you know, when you're casting, and then any pet peeves you have with singers, things to avoid. And that can be while auditioning or once they get to yeah once they get to a production.
2: so crazy. I feel like it's been years since I've heard an audition, which is so unusual for me, you know. because <laughs> like, For pop, I'll hear about three to 400 singers a year uh, between here and in New York. And then I also hear for other, you know, I have some pretty steady directing gigs, so I hear singers for those folks too. Okay, so here's, here's the way my casting works is, for me, a great voice is a given. If you don't have that, just let's move on. Like, um, there's varying degrees in that, of course, but like, you know, as you can hear a hundred sopranos and you're, you're going to have your five that stand out right vocally. And then I'm in this luxury position where I typically know what my concept is going to be a year ahead of time. Um, I know like, all these parameters. Cause I, I'm the boss. Like I know all the parameters of the money we have and the housing we have and the concept and just a lot of things that you don't have if you're just a director coming in to direct a show for somebody or cast a show even. Um, so I've got all the pieces in front of me. So then I can just get extremely selective as, you know, I know I'm using this soprano. He would look really good with her. He, their voices don't, work together at all so that's you know that's i think that's a position i'm in that not everybody's in and then um then there's a million considerations that go into casting that have very little that singers have no control over none Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i mean just the basics are like i can't bring eight people in for the show i can only bring four so it's going to have to be the the four I can't get in LA, you know, the four voice types or the four looks that I can't get in LA. So you got to, of course, I know we all hear that, but you got to remember that all the time. Like there's so many, so many factors beyond your control as a singer. I mean, there's factors beyond my control as the artistic director of this company. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's just clear. I have to hire this person or this, you know, because they're the only ones who fit all these boxes that I don't even want to Boxes I don't even, you know, want to have, but that's budget or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, pet peeves, I mean, they're, they're simple, but it's like, you got to be likable. You know, mm-hmm. I've definitely hired singers that, I haven't hired many singers that are a pain in the ass, luckily. Um, if that's the case, see ya, you're not coming back. But, you know, I like to work with people that are fun. That are and I've hired people, staff and and singers that did a perfectly wonderful job. Audience liked them; they sounded great, but we barely had two words the whole time they were here, you know. And it's just like I want people that are fun to be around. So you know, but that's that's who I'm going to bring bring back. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just nobody's making enough money for it to be otherwise, right? So, (laughs) right. Um yeah, that's it. And just, you know, there's that fine line of between confidence and cocky, and Mm -hmm. good luck finding it. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) that's what that's what I look for. Right. You know, I want someone who who believes in themselves and knows they have talent, but doesn't not an asshole, you know?
1: Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me, Josh.
2: Yeah, man. And uh, I
1: wish you luck with all your upcoming stuff. Uh, Whenever I'm back in LA, we're gonna have to play golf together simple as that
2: i'm that's that's one of my resolutions is i'm not giving up golf completely once once the world gets back to normal i'm still going to find the time to play it at least you know once a month or something
1: yeah and that that'll always serve as a nice five-hour break from whatever madness is going on
2: yeah
1: cool all right man well i'll talk to you again soon thanks again for coming on the show see you buddy
2: yeah